morning we continue our study in the book of Philippians. Uh, today we are in Philippians chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading the second half of verse 18 through verse 26. It's found on page 980 in the Pew Bibles. If you do not have your own copy of the Bible with you and like to follow along there, that would be appreciated. As you're turning there, something that Fareed shared, and thank you so much, brother, for sharing that ministry. Uh, it's a powerful reminder, especially given the messages that we are encountering on a daily basis, uh, politically speaking, uh, to be reminded that these are souls. Uh, these are souls of people who are in need and people who need the gospel. And it's important that we're mindful of that and we show the compassion uh, that we have received from the Lord in our care for those both here and abroad who are displaced in situations like that. This is not a political issue but a human one as uh, the pastor or the gentleman pointed out in speaking with the guy in the street. So it's very powerful. Thank you, Fareed, for sharing that. Philippians chapter 1 beginning... Verse 18b. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Remember, Paul's writing for prison. That's the this he's referring to. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be, will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these vital truths in light of the world that we live in, its fallen nature, whose systems and worldviews are contrary to the truth of who you are and, who your and what your gospel proclaims. A world in which we battle an enemy that would seek to divide and distract and keep people from coming to a knowledge of the truth, of seeing the light of the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I pray for us as your church, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, or that you would trans. Form us 
by the power of your word and the work of your spirit in our lives. Increase our joy in you and our confidence in you, I pray. Increase our love for one another and commitment to one another, I pray. Lord, increase our faithfulness in private moments, I pray. That we would bring no reproach to your name, but that the world would see you as you are and would respond as they ought in faith and repentance. Help us to listen well. Help me to speak clearly that Christ would be glorified and our joy be full. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. We saw last week and uh, covered extensively last week that we live in a world that is uh, filled with trials and troubles and that suffering is not something that we should be surprised by when we encounter it. It is not necessarily what would you would think at first blush as a, as a happy topic to consider, but as we consider our source of confidence and joy in the Lord Jesus Christ, we see that even, even difficult topics and realities like trials and suffering can be a launching pad for greater worship of our Lord. Suffering is real, brothers and sisters, and we must equip ourselves to learn to be faithful under trials, to learn to suffer with confidence. The Bible is not silent on suffering. I've chosen five passages in the New Testament to, that highlight this reality, and I, I just want you to listen Maybe even write these references down and go back and reflect upon them and their surrounding context in the coming week. The first one is Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 for context's sake. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God uses our suffering to develop character and even reveal our character and our hope in Christ. The next, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 30. Some of you knew I was going here this morning. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and, to, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul's writing about life in this fallen world where we even see the effects of sin in the weather and the things that happen around the world. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons the redemption of our bodies for in this hope we were saved now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees but we hope for what we do not see we wait for it but if we hope for what we do not see we wait for it with patience Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what, the mind of the Spirit, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Paul reminds us in this glorious chapter that suffering is, is both real, but it is temporary and will be surpassed by a greater glory that will be revealed at the return of Christ. God is present with us in our suffering and his Holy Spirit is interceding for us in our time of need. Two weeks ago, Wes preached from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. He read verse 6. Paul writes, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. We see that God uses suffering uh, to strengthen us, uh, to, to, to do the good work that is within us. It is in the context of trials that character is formed. So even the sufferings that we face are a part of God's work in completing the good work that he has began in us heard a lot from the Apostle Paul. Let's listen to a little bit from the Apostle Peter. First Peter chapter 1 verses 6 and 7. Peter writes, in this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Suffering tests the genuineness of our faith, brothers and sisters. And finally, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice 
insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Suffering for the sake of the gospel, suffering for being a a, a Christian, brothers and sisters, is is a way in which we share in, in the very same shame and suffering that Jesus endured to save us. Just five passages out of a multitude that deal with the reality of suffering in the lives of believers. One of my favorites from church history, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, wrote this. The day will come, dear friend, when your cheeks, all befouled with weeping, shall be washed and made fair to look upon. Your eyes may be weary and waiting and watching and red with weeping, but that weeping shall endure only for a night. Joy cometh in the morning as surely as the morning cometh after the night. Bear your sorrows bravely, for they are appointed of your heavenly Father in supreme wisdom. Bear them joyfully, for they will bring forth to you the peaceable fruits of righteousness. Trials lead us to greater righteousness. Brothers and sisters, if we are going to suffer with confidence, we must be mindful of the source of our confidence. The the truths that we are tackling this morning, and I I want to say this clearly because in in the church, in America, we we have fallen into a, a, a lie of believing that there are classes of Christians. You have your devoted and nominal and and, and anywhere in between. But what we learn from God's word is written for all Christians, wherever we may be in our walk with the Lord. The expectation is not that suffering is just for, for the super saints. Oh, well, well, the Apostle Paul could write about those things, but I could never live like that. Well, why not? The same spirit that lived within the Apostle Apostle Paul is within every believer today. So this is not a a, a super class of Christians that, that, that I am appealing to. It is to you and me, average, ordinary believers trying to be faithful in a world that is hostile to what we believe. I would also tell you that we should not wait until trials are upon us until we begin to look to the character of God to strengthen ourselves. We need to be going to the well, to the word, day after day, drinking deeply of the character of God so that when those trials come upon us, We have a firm foundation on which to stand when the storms of life are rushing upon us. We must pursue him daily. 
brothers and sisters, maintaining lasting joy and suffering can only be found through knowing God and through delighting in his character. And we see this clearly in the Apostle Paul's life and ministry. It was rooted in his knowledge of God's goodness and God's purposes in building the church. Paul was able to stand firm, not because he had a, a, a measure of connection with God that, 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 that we do not have access to in the Spirit, but he was able to stand firm because he knew God. He walked with God. He depended upon God. He had daily fellowship with God so that when thrown in prison, so that when shipwrecked, so that when betrayed, slandered, denied, all of these things, he could say, you know what? God is going to use this for his glory. Paul was not one who was optimistic just for the sake of saying something optimistic. He was confident in the character of God. And we see this, first of all, in his expectation in verses 18b through 20. Paul writes, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's expectation. Paul, Paul faced trials, and he did so in dependence upon the work of God and the prayers of his people. It's, a, it's an often overlooked reality as we look at, at Philippians chapter 1, how much Paul is focused on the church. We, we want to think about the imprisonment. That's pretty terrible. We want to think about the slander that was going on outside the church. That's pretty bad. But here as we cruise towards the end of the chapter, his focus isn't on his own circumstances, but how God is using those things for the good of the church. Paul says, listen, my expectation is that through your prayers for me and the work of the Spirit in my life, that I'll be faithful. I'll stand firm. So let's not lose sight of, of, the, of the obvious application here. We must be fervent and constant in our prayers for one another. We, we get the email blasts faithfully from Allison when prayer requests come about. We should be engaging one another in ways where we know what's going on in one another's lives and, and be committed to praying faithfully for one another. God, in his sovereign wisdom, activates and is at work as his people pray. Now, our prayers don't make God do anything. Don't misunderstand me. But God is at work in us, growing us, as he answers our prayers. He responds to the intercessions of his people as he works for his good and perfect will in our lives. Paul faced trials in dependence upon the work of God and the prayers of his people. Paul also 
faced his trials with an eye to his ultimate salvation in Christ. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this, this imprisonment, this trial will turn out for my deliverance. Now, that word deliverance in the Greek simply means salvation. And people have wondered, okay, is Paul talking simply about his salvation from prison? Or is he saying, whatever happens in this situation, whether I'm released or whether I am killed via capital punishment, I know that I am delivered by God. I think the answer is yes. He understood that that living or dying, he was secure in Christ. And, And this enabled him to endure faithfully for the glory of God. Verse 20 says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but with that full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. That that phrase, eager expectation in the Greek, is actually a, a word picture of someone straining their neck in anticipation to try to to see what's coming. Paul says, I'm I'm eagerly straining, looking ahead to see how God is going to be at work in this, but I am sure that, that however he works, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or death. Brothers and sisters, do you have that same type of anticipation in your life as you go before God in prayer, as you face trials, as you pray for the need of others? Is there that straining to look ahead, recognizing because you know who God is and you know that God is good, that however He answers, whatever He's going to do, He's going to do it well. And it's going to be for our good. Do, Do we pray that way? Do we know God in that way? So much so that it changes the way our, our, we look at life, our outlook. Oh, all oh, that it would, brothers and sisters. Paul's expectation was that with full courage, Christ would be honored in his body, whether by life or by death. He, he remained bold even when facing the prospect of ex- execution. Again, Paul's not putting on a brave face. He is convinced of God's faithfulness. He was all in, if you will. And this really is the only option. Brothers and sisters, when we try to live our Christian lives with with one foot in the Christian realm and the other foot in the world, it is always our Christian life that suffers. You, you, you cannot water ski through life with, with, with one foot in the world and the other in your faith. It's always our faith that suffers. It weakens our testimony. Paul says, I have full courage that Christ will be honored. That word honored means to be magnified. He wanted the church and the world to see that no matter what happened with his imprisonment or or, or even if he was executed, that the way he faced those trials would testify in the loudest possible terms to the greatness of God and the glory of Christ. That is our calling 
brothers and sisters, that no matter what we face, whether it be the the joys of this life or, or the troubles that we face, our response in each and every one of those situations would be to reflect His greatness to the world. Amen. In our study of 1 Corinthians 10.31, we read this, all things, Paul said, whether you eat or drink, do all things for the glory of God. All things for the glory of God. Again, this is a message for all believers. All things for the glory of God. So his expectation would be that God would be honored, magnified. And he had this perspective because he recognized that he was in a win-win situation, verses 21 through 23. Paul continues, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul was in a situation where it seemed he had no control over what was going to happen next. Either released or executed. He said, I got, I've got two options here, and in my mind, they are both glorious. Don't miss that. Living, that's Christ. Dying, that's gain. That's simple, but profound. It's a win-win situation. If they, if they kill me, I get Christ. If I live, I get to continue to serve Christ. To live is Christ. And our lives, brothers and sisters, must be lived for the glory of God. That phrase, fruitful labor, is not just something for an imprisoned apostle. It should be our goal as well. As we live, we want to serve him fruitfully for his glory and for the good of others, whether that be caring for displaced refugees around the world or reaching out in kindness to your unsaved and hostile neighbor or showing kindness to your cruel boss or being patient with your unbelieving family, all things for the glory of God. We must come to realize, brothers and sisters, that lasting joy can only be found in living for Him. Nothing else will satisfy You may enjoy for a season the praises of men, the pleasures that money can buy, even the temporary pleasures of sin, but ultimately for the believer that will always leave you feeling empty. There is nothing that we will gain or lose in this life that will come close to the joy that we have in expending our lives for the glory of God. You're not going to stand before Jesus in glory and say, you know what, I wish I had played the Xbox a little bit more. 
you know what, I wish I had earned just a little bit more money. I, I, I wish my friends had thought I was funnier, or I wish my, churches had, had, my church had, had gotten my jokes better. That, that, that's not where the focus is going to be. You're going to look back and say, man, praise God for His grace. Thank Jesus that it's because of His faithfulness that I'm here. But if I had just one more hour there, I would do it all for His glory. We don't get that option. It's now or it's never, brothers and sisters. Martin Luther once said that where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And that is where we are in the here and now. This is the land of conflict. Now our battle is not against flesh and blood. We know that. It's a, it's a spiritual one. And our weapons are not guns and knives or cannons. It's the word of God that we must wield those weapons in love and faithfully to those who desperately need the truth. David Brainerd was a missionary who was well acquainted with suffering. But here's his take on living for Christ. This missionary who battled depression throughout his entire adult life said this, he said, we should always look upon ourselves as God's servants placed in God's world to do his work and accordingly labor faithfully for him, not with a design to grow rich and great, but to glorify God and do all the good we possibly can. All while he despaired of life at certain seasons. A win-win situation to live is Christ. A win-win situation to die is gain. Paul writes, to, to be with Christ is far better. In the Greek, there's a, a superlative there that means it could be, couldn't be any greater than that. To die is gain. It's, it's to be with Christ. That's, that's far better than anyone, anything else. And, and brothers and sisters, this is the perspective we need. We need a, a Christ-centered perspective on our life and death. And we need to believe that death truly is gain for the believer. Now again, this is the lives that we have have been given to us by God. We should be thankful and we should seek to, to, to maximize all the time that we have on this earth, whether it be long or short. But the reality is, for the believer, it just gets better once we take our final breath in this life. Those aren't platitudes. Those things aren't, shouldn't be things that we tell ourselves to, to make ourselves feel better when that loved one is gone but a reality that we stand on and even something that we long for. We want to finish well to enter in to, until we enter into our reward. Paul says, I'm, I'm hard-pressed between the two. And he was hard-pressed because our lives belong to God. We, we, we want to live well and we want to die well for his glory. 
finally, we see God's work and the church's realization, verses 24 through 26. Paul continues, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now we have seen throughout Philippians chapter 1 that Paul's confidence was rooted in God's sovereignty. We see it in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12 where he wrote, What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He sees what God is doing in his trials. And as Paul considers the circumstances, he, in his best estimation it seems that, that, that it would be better for the church if, if God were to let him stay around a little bit longer and continue to, to, to build the church that he'd been called to serve so faithfully. Paul understood that the, the trials that he faced were for the good of the church. As the church watched him struggle and deal with the trials that he faced, it, it served to increase their faith as well and, and open up a, a, an opportunity for them, him to speak to them and to teach them of God's faithfulness in trial. And we see that God's goal is the strengthening and the joy the church. See, brothers and sisters, Paul understood that God's plans exceeded his personal comfort. I could camp here for a while, but let me just read that again. God's plans exceeded his personal comfort. And as a result, Paul prioritized the health of the church in his life and ministry. He understood that he wasn't just living for his own comfort, but he was living to serve others. And this is a great example for us in the body of Christ. We too must be known for our joy in Christ and the work of God among us as his people. So as I close, where do we go from here? First of all, we need to be mindful of the importance that the church, the body, should play in our lives. We belong to Christ and are members one of another for our mutual joy and growth in the faith. This is one of the important areas where we are called to exercise our gifts and to, and to love and serve one another well. We must not fall into the trap of thinking that the body of Christ is something optional. It's not the cherry on top as it relates to our Christianity. There's a reason that the majority of the books in the New Testament are written to local congregations. So the body is important. It's important that we worship together, that we serve together, that we care well for one another. We must not forget the importance of being faithful in our prayers. Prayers for one another, prayers for ourselves, prayers for those outside the faith, prayers for ministries that are, are tackling what seem to be impossible odds from a human perspective. But we must 
be people of prayer. And prayer is our ongoing conversation with God. It's not just our, our laundry list of, of, of wants and needs that we're aware of. We should be known for our joy. Your sins have been forgiven. In Christ, you will never be treated as your sins deserve. You have been declared holy and blameless in the sight of God because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. How can we not be known for our joy? Right? Paid in full. Secure in Christ. We must be known for our joy, brothers and sisters. And we must make it our goal as the church to live and die together for the glory of God. May that be true of each of us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for these dear brothers and sisters. What a, what a privilege it is to open your word to such wonderful people who, who love you and, and love one another and want to honor you with their lives. And it's my prayer, Lord, that for, for each of us in our, in our effort and our desires to, to, to want to honor you, that, that it always would come from a sense of dependence upon you. We know we can never repay all that you have done and you do not call us to. We, we recognize that salvation is not something that we can secure on our own. But we believe you when you tell us that, that, that joy is found in you. So help us, Lord, to, to learn faithfulness. Help us, Lord, to, 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 to walk faithfully and, and to be committed to you. For our good and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.